Hello to all the listeners out there. Welcome back. And thank you for tuning in to season three of What's the Tease. For this episode, I'd like to start off by mentioning an event that's going to be happening in the month of April in the land of Burlesque. On Sunday the 26th April, the dancing art form Burlesque will once again be celebrated in style with the second World Burlesque Day taking place. Despite the challenges of the coronavirus lockdown, the public are invited to join burlesque artists worldwide and experience this wonderful art form for themselves from the comfort of your homes. The day will feature a packed schedule of performances, interviews and a TikTok dance challenge as part of the celebration. Founded and hosted by experienced burlesque performer, singer-songwriter and author, Safira, the public and burlesque fans are invited to join in many free online activities which will be streamed online via the World Burlesque Day Instagram page. The 26th of April holds a special place in the hearts of many burlesque lovers as it marks the anniversary of the death of burlesque icon Gypsy Rose Lee. As part of the event celebrations, Gypsy's son Eric Lee Preminger will present exclusive footage of his mum. Additional ways to participate include using the free World Burlesque Day poster on the website and posting a photo with it and the hashtag World Burlesque Day 2021. To participate, simply visit www.instagram.com slash Day on Monday the 26th of April and join in throughout the day as activities will be live streamed from there. And now, without further ado... Let's get to the first episode of Season 3. My guest today needs no introduction to the airwaves. Burlesque performer and fellow podcaster, the steamiest Asian dumpling, Shomai Moore. Hello, Shomai. Hi, thank you for having me today. Your voice has been in my ears for much of 2020 and also 2019, you know, since you've started your podcast. But we'll get into that later. Okay, I'm so excited. Likewise, your voice is so beautiful and so calming. And so I'm just fangirling right now, but I'll let you do your thing. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So originally a California girl, your burlesque origin story begins in Nashville, however, when your then exercised obsessed muggle self came across a poster offering a different kind of daily grind. This was way back in 2014. I mean, not that way back, but you know what I mean. So, okay, like, going back to the ex, I can tell you did your deep research on me. Ooh. Um, Okay. So back when I lived in Nashville, I worked a job where I, I don't know, like, I traveled all the time. It was a lot of, like, whining and dining business stuff. And I became exercise obsessed, I would say, because I needed something else to do that wasn't my job. So taking fitness classes was my way of getting out of the office. Mm -hmm. But then it became like this really weird, unhealthy thing as exercise and, you know, 2014 Nashville and, you know, probably now around the world, right? That Mm -hmm. image obsessed, unhealthy space. I can feel myself going down that rabbit hole where I would be in a workout class for an hour, right? I'd start with a fake CrossFit, and then I would stick through to Zumba, and then I would do the next class, and the next thing you know, I've been in this gym for like three to four hours, and that's like, 
insanely fucked up. Mm -hmm. And again, like being the biggest person in that room and, you know, wanting to do this thing so that I could be in my body, I'm then in a space where I wasn't, right? I was Mm -hmm. listening to what other people are telling me to do and what other people are telling me would feel good and everything. And so I noticed that there was these classes at delinquent debutantes on my like gym pass thingy that let me go to different gyms around the city Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where i'm like okay this is really far from my office and really far from the other workout places i would go to so i probably can't spend three hours there but it still gives me an excuse to leave the office by a certain time let me try this class and see what happens. Like Mm -hmm. I really needed a different kind of daily grind. And that's Mm -hmm. how I ended up at Delinquent Debutantes. And it was just so different. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was like so different from being in a running class or a CrossFit class or like the things that I had been doing for the past year living in Nashville because everyone was really positive. Everyone was really welcoming. The movement was different. You know, there was a strong emphasis on if this feels good for you, let's do this move. Mm -hmm. Or like, let's walk across the floor in your version of sexy or your version of, you know, these levels, right, that you're doing, sexy, silly, whatever, versus being obviously in like a CrossFit class where it's like, I need you to move across the floor the fastest, hardest, you know, most (laughs) strenuous way possible. So burlesque, I think, you know, in my pursuit of, doing things outside of the office and my pursuit of being in my body, burlesque really let me get there in a way that my year of working out three to four hours a day, like, did not let me do that. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, this is, this is a space, these were spaces, these workout classes were spaces where I was the fattest person in the room by far, by far. And back Mm -hmm. then I was probably I don't know, like 70 pounds lighter than what I am now. Mm -hmm. And it was just so like strange in a beautiful way to be in a space where I wasn't necessarily thinking about that or it wasn't like pointed out to me, you know, like where there wasn't an emphasis on like, well, if you want to have my ass or whatever, right, whatever an instructor would be saying in these like more fitness, hard body focused kind of classes, like, That wasn't a thing in these burlesque classes, of course. Like, it wouldn't be. It never, like, entered the language of the space. And I think that that's exactly what I needed at the time without, like, knowing it. Had you seen a burlesque performance yet? Or did your classes with the delinquent debutantes lead you to your first experience of a burlesque show? That was it. That was, like, the beginning of everything. Like, I think I knew what burlesque was in terms of you know, I knew who Dita was. Mm-hmm. I had seen burlesque in like old timey movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> I had never been to a show at that point. I didn't know that it was a thing that people were still doing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I went to that first class and then I just never left. And you've said that one of the first performers you've seen was Freya West. So was that then, of course, as a result of attending classes with the delinquent debutantes? 
Absolutely. Um, I am very fortunate that Freya West was one of my first instructors. I think we tell everyone, this is the truth, this is the hard truth. I think mm -hmm. in the Nashville circles, we tell everyone that Chandeliers, Chandeliers is my mom, mm -hmm. Shan was my first instructor. But if we like go back on the records to see like, you know, according to my gym pass thingy, mm -hmm. I think Freya was actually my first instructor. And maybe at that, it might've actually been a sub and not Freya. But whatever, Freya mm -hmm. and Shan is where it started. And the two of them, they always performed at this venue called Skull's Rainbow Room, which is downtown in Nashville. They had burlesque back in the day during the pandemic times, of course, no burlesque, but hopefully mm -hmm. that's something that will come back soon. Mm -hmm. And I remember after class one day, Freya was just like, oh, I have a show or, you know, I'm performing at Skull's and I had no idea what that was. So I looked it up and then set a date night i feel like the next day with my partner and we went and it was just so magical i feel like it was you know i feel like it was like a wednesday or thursday night like perhaps like an off peak day if you know what uh -huh. i mean yeah. and so it was there were other people in the venue of course but mm -hmm. just that connection that freya has like i really felt like she was the only or I was the only person in the room that she was performing to. And I just fell in love with Freya. I fell in love with burlesque. You know, it took everything that I saw in that quick intro 55 minute class and just made it real, like the lights and the live music and the people. And it was just so beautiful. And Freya is so beautiful that I couldn't help but be in love with burlesque and of course be in love with nashville and be in love with freya and shan and delinquent debutantes all right cool thank you for Ooh, sharing that, that. no no of it was course. perfect <laughs> you hit all the right notes after starting classes with freya west what motivated you to continue your burlesque journey when you moved to chicago furthering your education at michelle amore studio and then also attending BurleyCon? sure yeah like i think in Nashville, before I moved away from Nashville, Freya went on a world tour. I think she worked on a she worked on a cruise. That's mm -hmm. why she left. And in that time, I got really close to chandeliers. And then eventually, I moved away from Nashville, hit up some other spots, and then found my way in Chicago. And yeah. when I landed in Chicago, I knew that Freya and chandeliers had both learned from Michelle. And so it just felt like the natural place to go, where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, these are the people I learned from, and this is the person who they learned from. So let's go to, you know, to me, like in mm -hmm. my head, let's go to the source of what burlesque yeah, yeah. is. And that I think was just a really wild time. Michelle is a great teacher, very intimidating, obviously very great at what she does. But what I loved about her studio back then, Studio L'Amour, is that she had so many other instructors there, right? That's where I met Dahlia Fatale and mm -hmm. Midnight Martini and like, and Lady Ginger. And that I think is where I got really, really involved in burlesque. Or it was like my way of trying to figure out what else is burlesque besides, you know, besides classes, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you make that transition mm -hmm. into performing? And then from there, I had some vacation time that I needed to take. I knew that BurleyCon was happening. I was finally in a place with my career where I could go on this vacation and spend that money. And I found my way to BurleyCon in, I want to say, 2017. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was finally reunited with a lot of my delinquent debutante sisters. 
and just saw burlesque at a bigger scale. Of course, right, this is still in that classroom setting, which is a very comfortable space for me. And so it just felt like, yeah, here's burlesque that exists in a space that's beyond the classroom, but yet still the classroom. Here's hundreds of people that also love this other thing that I love. And it was just a really exciting time and place to be in that first BurleyCon that I've ever attended. I, I loved it. It made everything come together in like a bigger way for me there. Yeah. And you spent four years studying burlesque before heading back to Nashville to make your stage debut. So as a self-proclaimed perfectionist, what shifted for you where you felt ready to take your place in the spotlight? That's a great question. Yeah, like at that BurleyCon in 2017, I attended a class with Lola Frost. It was her slow burn class. And there was a moment where, you know, you do the class, you learn the moves, like you learn the instructor's philosophy. And then Lola had us all do a little demo. Mm -hmm. And when uh, it came to the demo time, she's like, okay, like who wants to volunteer? And usually it was a bunch of solos. And then I rose my hand for some reason, you know, I was like, all right, like it's the last class of (laughs) of this very long weekend. You know, this is my time to see if I can do it. I'll raise my hand. If I get picked, I get picked. If not, like, whatever, no big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And she picked me. But I had my hand raised and the person behind me also had their hand raised. And it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, you, me, you, you, me, no, you, me. And Lola was like, why don't you both go? Mm -hmm. And so I did like an impromptu slow burn duet with what turned out to be, with who turned out to be Kitty Kapow, who is Mm -hmm. now one of my dearest friends. And we did a slow burn duet dance to Hello by Adele. Mm -hmm. And that I think, I feel like I keep saying this, but I think like that's that's where it became like really real, right? I was performing in a sense for a bunch of people. Everyone was reacting. I was up there with this very beautiful human who made me feel safe and sexy. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, if this is a baby version of what the stage is like, and I feel so good and so empowered from this, mm-hmm. then what does the real stage feel like? Yeah. So I had this really cheesy, magical moment after that. Um, after the last class of the day at BurleyCon, there's a closing ceremony. And one of the things that happens is Indigo Blue has people write down, like, what's their intention? Like, what mm-hmm. do they need? And then the volunteers will go around and randomly pick people's slips of paper and then read them out loud and mine was read out loud and what I wrote was I just need someone to tell me to do the thing right it had been Uh like three or four years like what are you doing why why haven't you done the thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then so in that moment after my slip of paper was read the whole room yelled do the thing and that's when I knew it was it was time I had to I had to do it so planner and perfectionist me then spent the next like six or seven months plotting (laughs) my return to Nashville to debut at Delinquent Debutantes. You know, I knew that there were options in Chicago for me to debut. I knew following that BurleyCon, folks were very enamored with the idea that here's someone who attended BurleyCon who hasn't debuted, like, oh, why don't you just come out to my state and debut here? I would love to have you on my stage. But I had waited so long that I needed it to be right. Like I mm-hmm. needed to debut in my home studio, in my burlesque home state. And 
that's what I did. That's what I did. It took some coordinating and some effort on Freya and mine and Shan's part to make it all happen, but I will be forever grateful to say that I graduated, graduated mm-hmm. from delinquent debutantes from my home. Absolutely. What a, <laughs> what a great story. It was at your second performance in Austin, Texas, where you met world famous Bob, who is like one of my absolute favorites just people in the world and hostess of a burlesque show ever. And you subsequently were invited to join her at the House of Famous. So how is it different being a drag daughter to being a part of, for instance, the delinquent debutantes or a student at any other burlesque studio? That's a great question. I know that we have people, you know, I know that we have houses in burlesque and you know, drag families, drag houses are a very real thing tied to something very rich and personal, like mm-hmm. in queer history, especially. Yes. And so I think, you know, I think when people think about like drag moms or burlesque moms today, at least, you know, my exposure to it, people are under the sense that, oh, this is someone who you can workshop and act with, or this is someone who's going to like you know, hand me down some acts or some moves or something that they've done, or maybe they'll like throw gigs your way or something like that. Um, but with World Famous Bob, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, you know, I have a number of fabulous siblings in the House of Famous, and each of us have a different relationship with Bob. And for some mm-hmm. of them, maybe they do get acts handed down to them or something, right? Mm-hmm. But when I think about my connection with Bob, this is gonna sound so weird and so cheesy. I have no other way to phrase it besides like, it feels like a spiritual connection. There's mm-hmm. something more like gooey and spiritual about like what world famous Bob and the house of famous and being her drag daughter like gives me. like. I know that I can call on Bob if I'm ever having an issue on Mm -hmm. anything. Like I choose to spend my time and my, you know, and and call on Bob's energy when I need it kind of in a gooey sense. Like I I don't know. I know that I could ask her, like, hey, what did you think of this act? Or like, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing with this costume. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's that's never not a thing I could do. But the way that I choose to spend it is like, okay, I think I talked to her the other day about like, okay, like I'm turning 30, like my life goal, like in my wildest dreams is to be a congresswoman one day. And Bob was like, okay, yeah, like then do it, then do it. Like, why not? Right? Like that has nothing to do with burlesque. Yeah. That has nothing to do with what the landscape of burlesque will look like in the future. That has nothing to do really with like show my more the persona Mm -hmm. or like this slice of myself right yeah that's like purely like um almost purely like a muggle thing to strive for and yet like here i am using my tea time with bob to talk about politics and to talk about like how can i be in service of something greater than myself like what does that mean what do i how do i take this momentum as you know as this persona as this like sexy internet and stage persona and one day be a congresswoman right like I don't think I don't think that's what 2014 or even like 2018 or 2019 Uh me would ever have thought that that's what I spend my time talking to world famous Bob about but like 
that's what we're doing. And so, so I would say like the main difference like lies in, you know, I have these pockets of family, right? I have world famous Bob in the house of famous. I have delinquent debutantes. I have incredible mentors in, Mm -hmm. you know, mentorship relationships, like especially with Shan and, you know, other folks in the scene, but it's all different. Mm -hmm. And I get something different out of each of them. And together, I feel like I have this really well-rounded community of support that like really helps me out there for like lots of things. Oh, that's a wonderful thing to have, community. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if I could, I'd love to vote for Show My More, what, 2024? Right, yes, that's that's what we're doing, <laughs> plotting, just going to take over the world, absolutely. I'll send you a bumper sticker Fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, Show My More is a play on words, combining the phrase show me more and shumai, the Filipino version of a dim sum dumpling, also referencing your heritage. In your experience, how is burlesque received or explained in the Asian community? Oh, that's like a really tough question. Yeah, no, it's just uh, obviously for us in Africa, a lot of times, you know, people often reference things as being it's a Western ideal, you know, especially with colonization. But that's also like happened all around the world. So it's always interesting to me to hear what people who are minorities in a first world country or a western country like how the art form of burlesque is uh, received amongst your community when i decided to debut like i it was obviously very intentional and i never wanted anyone to make a mistake of who i am and where i'm coming from right if you look at me i look asian i come out on stage Mm -hmm. I am fat. Like these are things that you cannot deny. And what is mm-hmm. what is a shumai? What's a shomai? It's a fat, mm-hmm. juicy, like Asian dumpling. And it's beautiful and it's delicious. And that's exactly what I'm gonna give you on stage. Like my signature number, I would say, right, is that dumpling number that I have. It's cheeky, it's funny, mm-hmm. it's cute, but if we let it sit for a second, if we let it cook up a little more and steam there. Like it's incredibly subversive. And I think that act is very well received. It's very like wonderful and playful and everyone thinks it's so adorable like on its face. But a common thread that I see among Asian burlesque performers, especially here in the States is, yeah, they're gonna give you something that's palatable, but like, you know, we're gonna put it in your face. Like we're gonna let you choke on it if like, you know, if if given <laughs> that opportunity, right? And we're gonna take that opportunity to make sure that like we're undeniable as something more powerful than just this like Hello Kitty caricature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I, I think here in the in the US, like I there is, you know, a rich a good number of Asian burlesque performers that I'm very grateful to be sharing a community with. And I don't know, a lot of them, I look up to them because they're so powerful and so sexy and just the existence of burlesque is political. And there's just something just so magical and deep about seeing, you know, someone who we expect to be demure or, submissive or something right like this is the cute like asian girl and yet here they are like fucking the stage that's like so Mm -hmm. exciting and so wonderful to me and so powerful yeah 
So like speaking of your signature acts, um, two of them are The Dumpling and Orange, which differ radically in aesthetic presentation. What kind of performer do you want to be on stage? Oh, what kind of performer do I want to be on stage? I always want to be seen as powerful and in control. And I think that I, I like to think that that comes across with both of those acts, but obviously in a very different way. Um, I really love classic burlesque and I would love to see these elements of classic, right? Like a good mm -hmm. like panel skirt and bump and grind act happening. But I want it to be more celebrated with fat bodies. If we think about, I feel like if I challenged folks to think about classic burlesque, I don't think they're thinking of a person that looks like me. I don't think they're thinking of someone mm -hmm. who's Asian. I don't think they're thinking of someone who's fat. And something that I want to be more intentional about, um, especially as time goes on and I build more acts, I want there to be elements of classic in everything I do, even if I'm not, you know, straight up dancing to a burlesque standard. I want to mm -hmm. add to the landscape that, yeah, someone fat, someone who is a POC, like can be and is a fabulous classic burlesque performer that's totally within the realm of possibility because we're doing it. There are fat performers out here who are great at classic. And I think that that's something that should be celebrated more. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but like I would no, it does. when I think about like fantasy show my more like what you know, what I hope show my looks like or is known for or whatever, like in the future, I would mm -hmm. love to keep like pushing the edges around like what does classic or neoclassical mean and how can I change mm -hmm. the face of classic, right? How can I contribute to a changing face of classic burlesque? Yeah, and that's why I referenced your two acts because they are, they both exist in Neo and also the classic style, but also you are representing yourself and everything that you want to be and that is powerful on stage. And so I think you're very much on that journey of this fantasy um, representation of yourself on stage. You're the host and producer, as well as editor, etc., etc., of The Pasty Tapes, a podcast dedicated to burlesque origin stories. What was the most unexpected thing you've learned from having this podcast? Oh my gosh. First, okay, I feel like you're going to relate to this, uh, especially uh -huh. in trying to schedule this interview with me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hard to nail down people. It's hard to get mm -hmm. people to commit to a date. And then if they do, yeah. it's hard to it, whether that's on like my end as the host, like stuff happens or it's their end as like, oh, I forgot. Or like in my case, right? Like mm -hmm. my microphone doesn't work. Sorry. Now I'm like 30 <laughs> minutes late. Like, oops. Um, no, I would say that I would say like one of the most surprising things is how excited and how open people are to telling their stories. I don't know why, I don't know if you like relate to this, but I think one of my initial thoughts was like, okay, I'm gonna try this. I think it's important to capture people's stories, but I don't know if anyone wants to do that. You know, I don't know if people are mm -hmm. interested in this. I don't know if people are interested in listening. I don't know if people are interested in sharing, like let's see what happens. And mm -hmm. the response has been phenomenal. It's been great. Like people are very willing yeah. 
most people are very willing to share their stories. Like they're willing to like open up and get deep about the things that I'm asking them about. And for some mm -hmm. reason, I don't know. I don't know if I didn't think that was going to happen because you know, as performers, as like people on the internet and on the stage, like we spend a lot of time crafting our image, emphasizing our brand that, you know, it, it's a little vulnerable or it's a lot vulnerable to kind of poke mm -hmm. and be like, huh, okay, well, like as a child, you did this, like, does that play into you as a burlesque performer today? Right? Like, that's weird. I don't know if yeah. people have made those connections before, but I'm really grateful that people are willing to go on that journey with me as guests and that there are folks out there who are willing to be on that journey as listeners. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. So after only a year of performing, you debuted in 21st Century Burlesque Magazine's Top 50 at number four in 2019 and number two in 2020. So firstly, congratulations for that. Thank you. Can you pinpoint key factors in your burlesque journey thus far, which led to you being recognized as an influential figure in the burlesque industry? Okay, this is like, ooh, this is, that's a good question. This is something, this is something that I really struggle with, right? Like this is something that Jeez mm -hmm. and I, Jeez Louise and I have talked about like on the pasty tapes, kind of like yeah. unpacking it. I think I was struggling with mm -hmm. it more than Jeez was. Jeez is phenomenal. Um, but it's weird, right? Like I would never want to be a sore winner or like perceived as a sore winner. <laughs> and so I feel like the expectation or like the right, quote unquote, like the right thing to say is like, oh my God, it was such a surprise. Like I, you know, I had no idea this would happen. And like, of course, right? I had no idea it would happen. It was a surprise. Mm -hmm. But if we look back on what I did in 2019, like why mm -hmm. not? Like, yeah. why not? Why, why not? Right. I worked like mm -hmm. lots of people work their asses off. Um, I'm very grateful to get that recognition. I think like what happened in 2019, like, I don't know, I made a splash, I guess. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, I was very intentional with where I was performing and how I was presenting myself. And I recognized, I think I recognized like pretty early on that as a burlesque performer, I have a platform. I have people who are following me along the internet, listening to the podcast, right? And I think it's my duty as a person with a platform to do good. And I think the definition mm -hmm. of good means something for different people, right? For some people it is, okay, mm -hmm. do good. I'm going to put out, you know, high quality acts and online entertainment, you know, in the time of pandemic or something. And for me, you know, in 2020 at least, right, I have a platform. I'm going mm -hmm. to fundraise. I'm going to let people know what they need to know about voting in the U.S. I'm going to help people get their vaccine appointments, right? That's something I've been doing mm -hmm. now in 2021. And I think, like, when I think about the word influencer, it's interesting because I think it's easy to think about, okay, that means you're pretty. That means you're, like, you know, a tastemaker. If Shomai mm -hmm. has this orange fade dye boa, then, like, with show my orange fade dye boa, everyone else should have an orange fade dye boa, right? But I think that like in a weird superhero Spider-Man kind of way, like that's fine. That's totally fine if that's like where where me as an influencer like starts and stops. But also like you're leaving like so much on the table. Like you can take that platform and take that responsibility and do so much more with it. 
And I'd like to think mm-hmm. that like what I did in 2019 and in 2020 to to get this recognition, you know, I, I'd like to think that, I don't know, I'd like to think that whatever it was that I was doing, like really struck a chord mm-hmm. with people. And that's... Well, obviously. Yeah, right. I hope... I, right, yeah, yeah, good point. Obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah it did. That, that's yeah. what I think happened. Like, you yeah. know, the definite... I'd like to think that I changed the definition of what it means to be influential, like, in that, you know, in that year. Right? Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. titles. I've never competed at mm-hmm. Behoff. I've only existed as Show My More in this current sense for, like, you know, mm-hmm. two and a half years. But mm-hmm. in this very short existence, it obviously has been powerful and has like meant something to someone or to enough someone's yes. right to make it on yes. that spot. And I'm very grateful for that. The whole point is because there is no campaigning for people to vote for you, it is literally a recognition of people seeing the work that you have put in. And I think that you should just take it as that. So once again, congratulations. And yeah, you just keep doing you, boo-boo. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think my therapist is uh, sick and tired of hearing me unpack what top 50 (laughs) means. I think that very long answer I just gave uh, will need to be edited because that was just obviously me thinking about it so much. But clearly, right, like clearly it struck a chord. Clearly I'm someone who's like, okay, well, like, this thing happened that I never thought would happen or didn't think it would happen like this soon in my burlesque career. But then like, why not? Right? Like why not? Yeah, exactly. When I spoke with Jezebel Thunder, the tea was that her day job was unknowing of her career as a burlesque artist. Has there been any implications on your professional career and you becoming a naked person on stage and the internet? Oh my gosh, that's a hilarious question. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, because number one, I'm probably not good at keeping secrets. I don't know, like I would mm-hmm. be the worst Clark Kent Superman out there. I would accidentally like show up to work like with my cape on, right, or whatever <laughs> the equivalent <laughs> would be. Um, but okay, so like when I first moved to Chicago, I worked a day job at an ad agency where they funded passion projects, which was really cool, right? Like some folks, their passion project was like, I want to learn how to use Instagram so I can connect with my nieces and nephews better. Or someone else was, I want to launch a podcast so I can record my grandmother's recipes or something, right? And for me, my -hmm. project was, I want to construct a pair of burlesque style feather fans, which then of course, right, the next question is, oh, is this a thing you do? And at the time, Mm -hmm. the answer was no, because I hadn't debuted yet. But, right, I got, like, my corporate day job to pay for my feather fans, which is pretty kick-ass. So I would say that I, like, let it out because it is such a big part of, like, who I am and what I do now that it does come out in, like, small doses. Um, After that, Mm -hmm. right after that presentation, that passion project uh, thing at my day job, Uh, back then, I would say that one of the managers at the company handled it poorly and he just assumed any time that I was speaking or doing an event that it was about burlesque, which it wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. There was once I was hosting a panel on International Women's Day where it was focused on pay parity between between the Mm -hmm. genders and he asked, 
oh, are you giving a presentation on burlesque? Are you going to perform something for us? And I'm like, fuck you, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, no, this is about, like, the gender pay gap. Like, what is wrong with you? So that's been an interesting thing to navigate. Um, I since have left that company and have worked at a couple of different places where, you know, it depends. The last place I was at was very old school, so I don't really think I told anyone that that was a thing. But also, I didn't really make many friends there. But at my current mm-hmm. job, um, which I just started this month, they have like a clause where they would like you to declare any outside activities just for like ethics, uh, just for the nature of the company. And so on, I don't know, I think it was like my third day of work, I had to write an email to the ethics council about like, hey, I do burlesque, like, I just got featured in this magazine for my podcast. Like, this is the thing. And I was so Mm -hmm. scared. And I was like, all right, I'm going to lose this job that I just started, like, days ago. And then they wrote back. They're like, okay, Mm -hmm. cool, whatever. Just, like, don't, you know, like, we would prefer anyone with an outside, like, side hustle thingy to, like, not use official business channels to, like, promote their stuff. But, like, this is cool. Good for you. And then, like, that was that. So I think sometimes, and I get it, right, lots of people really, like, need to be private uh, for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm not always like that. Maybe I could be, like, a little more. But it's always scary to tell people, like, hey, like, I'm a fancy naked lady on the Internet. But so far, Mm -hmm. like, it's worked out for me. I don't know. We'll see what this new job is like. We'll see if I make more friends and if more people find out like the depths of me and this side hustle outside activity. Um, But Mm -hmm. so far, I like it. And so far, it's been really refreshing to be able to tell people that this is a thing that I'm interested in. This is a thing that I do. This is a thing that dictates, you know, the other half of my life. And it lets me I think there's something really wonderful about show my more as the persona as being you know a part of me i feel like Mm -hmm. when i need to right i can tap into the show my energy and it makes me more confident it makes me bolder i show up on zoom with way better makeup than any of my coworkers, and i look great (laughs) all of the time and i think like show my lets me be tapping into that like show my side just lets me be like way more authentic and i think it shows in you know in my boring day job muggle self and and mm-hmm. i love it yeah awesome i'm really glad that you are in no risk of you ain't about to lose your job Na- over Bruce. right right i guess we'll see <laughs> uh if that ever happens i will ask for airtime to let people know that i'm looking for a new job so i'll hit you up if mm-hmm. after this interview i get fired <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I won't lose any sleep about editing this podcast. Oh my God, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) The pressure. Um, How has uh, being raised by the internet helped you to offer workshops teaching burlesque performers how to be cooler online? Ooh, okay, that's fun. I feel like a lot of people relate to this, right? Like I didn't grow up with that much money, but I was the scholarship Mm. kid at you know, at a fancy high school, right? I think um, I learned this from your from your show, right? Like Lulu La Duchess Derriere, mm-hmm. like also went yeah. to a private Catholic all-girls school, but was not, you know, the rich kid at that school. And that's like something that I really related to. So that meant mm-hmm. that people weren't allowed to come over to my house to like hang out or celebrate my birthday, 
which meant that I mm-hmm. spent a lot of my teenage years, my formative years, like making friends on the internet. And mm-hmm. I recognized right away, like especially after that BurleyCon in 2017, that a lot of burlesque is also making friends on the internet, right? Like you meet someone at a festival mm-hmm. or you might not ever meet them or you meet them online first and you spend a lot of time like fostering that relationship from a distance, just given the nature of life and of the art form, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. that's where it happens. And so with, I guess, you know, that like weirdo, like nerdy internet culture thingy being raised by wolves online, you know, with that background mm-hmm. and then also, you know, my background in marketing and in analytics, um, I recognized right away that there's a big opportunity for burleskers to be cooler on the internet, right? Whatever cool means, yeah. right? To recognize that your relationship with people online may be the only relationship that you have with them. And so again, right, there's lots of responsibility and there's lots of power and there's lots of like different ways that could twist with that. I think something Mm -hmm. that um, is important to note is that for lots of people, for lots of fans even, and lots of fellow performers, the internet exposure of yourself that you give them might be the only impression that they have of you ever, mm-hmm. ever. And so that's really important, right? Like if you, you, you can be whatever you want. I don't like, I'm not saying here that you need to be like one kind of thing or whatever, but yeah. what you're putting out there like really influences how people think of you, right? Like online, mm-hmm. I'm super interactive. I put out like polls and surveys about food, like, you know, really, I guess like, I don't know. I think the way that I present online makes people think that I'm probably the loudest person, the biggest personality like in the room in the group setting and that's not really how I am mm-hmm. in person at all. I think when people meet me they're very surprised that I'm quieter or that I'm someone who's maybe like more observant and not the person driving the conversation, which is what they would expect, right? From a podcast host. Oh, she'll never shut up mm-hmm. or something, right? Um, <laughs> but that's like not the case. Yeah, yeah. And so like with my classes about, you know, social media and branding and being your own cheerleader and all of that stuff, like for me, it's just emphasizing like, okay, like there's a balance, like this is what people are expecting. Are you willing to like live up to that expectation? Is that important to you? Like, what does that mean? Um, I don't really know if I'm answering your question anymore. And so No, you are. Because like, I don't know if other people think about this I think that you you might and I think that you do is that when you are a part of I think anything that is seen as alternative to the mainstream there is almost a responsibility where it's not necessarily only yourself that you are representing but also the art form like burlesque that you are representing so if that comes across in a certain way and people see oh burlesque artist and that's like the only time they've ever experienced or seen a burlesque artist and then that's the impression of it as an entirety you know so having somebody with skills kind of just guide you in that platform I think is a wonderful thing right right yes okay and something that Freya West actually posted about recently I want to say in like the past couple of weeks on her Instagram TV is the idea that we are in fact 
like well-rounded people right like Mm -hmm. freya pointed out how at some point in her life very recent life she was managing like five different instagram accounts with like five different like personas that she was tapping into right and Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people would relate to that but like at the end of the day like it's all you like you're not just this one thing and so yeah right like people could come to my instagram you know find me online or whatever because they are looking for like a sexy hot like fat babe but like that's not Mm -hmm. all I am right I'm also goofy I'm also like I also really love food like these are all things that we're going to talk about and we're all going to explore and then in person is just like an extension that sounds so weird I realize I'm I'm catching myself right now what I was going to say is in person (laughs) is just an extension of that internet persona when really it should be Mm -hmm. the other way around right like that's that was a big Freudian slip there right like the internet persona (laughs) should be like an extension of like you and who you are and like a continual thread of like what they might see or get like in person and that could be anything right it could be I I don't imagine that all of us are like wild sex pots like all the time and if you are cool that's Uh good for you that sounds exhausting and not like me at all but like there's a balance that can be achieved you don't need to split yourself into five different people and five different Instagram accounts. That sounds exhausting and we don't have time for that anymore. Well, it's good to know that you're offering a service to assist folks with um, their online presence. So anybody who's listening who would like to take uh, show my up on that can just check your website and all the details are right there. Cool, yes. You just gotta hit you up, hey? That's right. Okay, so outside of burlesque, you're an avid WWE fan and have started skateboarding as well. Have you learned anything from these past times that you carry over into your burlesque? Okay, I will admit that, like, I want that I feel like I've dropped off on how closely I was following pro wrestling. I feel like I dropped off, like, in the last, like, year but like the tenants like still hold um Mm -hmm. skateboarding like not so much i think like skateboarding became a thing because i realized oh if i fall i don't have to like you know if i fall during the pandemic as i'm learning you know how to how to skateboard like i don't have to like Uh work on covering that up so like it's fine it's totally (laughs) separate but with pro wrestling i want to say that pro wrestling and being a fan of pro wrestling in WWE was like a really great training ground for burlesque. And I, I never, I never wrestled. That was not a thing that I ever pursued, but just as an observer of that art form, I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. parallels there. Um, obviously, right. Like coming from, you know, this carnival circuit thing, there's that in like a historical sense. Um, but like when it comes to like WWE, I was a big fan of it, you know, when I was growing up, I want to say in the Attitude Era, which would put you in like the 2000s, there was so just so something like there was just something really wonderful about like the passion that these people had for their practice, for their art form, for this like physical feat. There's also tons Mm -hmm. of character development. There's also again, right, something that we see and are trying to get that balance of in burlesque. There's obviously like a big difference between you know, the person and the pro wrestling persona. And when that gets turned off and on, I think, and you know, and what people's expectations are. And so like what I love about pro wrestling 
is, I don't know, like it all comes together in a way that also makes sense for burlesque. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like I'm thinking about like these greats that we know about, right? Like modern day greats, like The Undertaker, for example. Oh, right, yeah. of course, right? Yeah. What a one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. What an entrance. Right, exactly. Ding. And that's yeah, like yeah, something yeah. that we kind of have in burlesque too. And then on top of that, right? Yeah. The Undertaker has had multiple multiple phases, like multiple variations, like different kinds of characters, but at the core, like always mm-hmm. the same, right? Always a badass, always kind of like creepy and and deadly so all of that is the Mm -hmm. same like even throughout the years and I think that that like holds true with burlesque performers as well right like at the end of the day like show my show my show my of like five years ago I'm sure we'll have a common thread with like show my five years ago five years in the future five years you know whatever it's all there's going to be like a common thread there I think that's something that you could see with pro wrestlers and then on top of that I mean what about the development of the character of Triple H to the game right exactly two right and then on top of that right we have the corporate version of Paul the real man right Paul who runs like WWE corporate like all of these things exist at once Triple H the game Paul, the guy who's married to Stephanie McMahon, the character, and then the guy yeah. who's married to Stephanie McMahon, the person, who's a dad, who's all yeah. of these things. Like, all of it exists at once. And then on top of that, right, like, these are people who have, obviously, like, a way more grueling travel schedule than I do. Mm-hmm. They are people who, like, need to work on their costumes and their skill set, right? They're at what would be like our equivalent of like our acts, right? Like those are things mm-hmm. that they need to like mm-hmm. focus on. So I don't know. There's like a lot that you can learn. Also, I will say, mm-hmm. last thing, I sorry, I feel like I just rambled for like yeah, yeah, eight yeah. minutes here. <laughs> I will say that the wrestling, like when it comes to makeup, you can get a lot of really good Mm -hmm. tips from them, right? Like, these are performers who are out there getting sweaty, rolling around on mats, and yet, like, everyone's face looks appropriately beat when it needs to get a certain kind (laughs) of beat. Like, no one's lashes. I've never seen anyone's lashes fall off. None of that. True. So if anyone is ever curious about how those wrestlers, like, look good after doing, like, a 20-minute match – the WWE Glam Squad Instagram, or if you find the individual makeup artists themselves, they're very responsive and they will be willing to tell you what like eyeliner or lipstick they used on a certain pro wrestler. So that's like a uh, great like <laughs> a great way to find out about new makeup things or tips. Cool. Have you at all played around with the idea of creating a tribute act to uh, pro wrestling? Oh my gosh, I have, but I have no <laughs> idea how to pull it off or what direction I want it to go in, but it's something that's like noodling in my head. So it's there. Mm-hmm. When when it happens, I will let you know, don't worry. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we've come to that part of the episode where you share with us where we can find and support your working burlesque for 2021 and beyond. Okay, so you can find me across the internet at show my more. You can find me on Instagram. I'm there a lot. A lot of the action happens in my Instagram stories. So if you're into Instagram stories, go there. It's fun. I promise. I think it's fun. I have fun with it. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Also, you can find me on showmymore.com. There's information about my classes and other things that are coming up. And of course, your podcast is such a treat and I love my podcast as well. And you can listen Mm -hmm. to it across the internet. It's called The Pasty Tapes and it drops bi-weekly-ish or whenever I feel like it. Yeah. Because girl's got a lot on her plate. Right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm trying. Magic of editing. It's there. And with that, Shomai, I'd just like to thank you for steaming up this episode of What's a Tease. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delicious delight to be here today. (laughs) 